Welcome to this broadcast of Truth For Today, sponsored by Sun City West Christian Church in Sun City West, Arizona. I'm your host, Kai Repsholt, and today we'll be doing part 27 of our study in the book of Acts, which I refer to as the spreading of the gospel. And we find ourselves in the 19th chapter of the book of Acts, starting with verse 11. And before we start, let's have a word of prayer. Uh, Lord, sovereign Lord, creator and ruler of all that is, we express our thanksgiving for all that has happened to bring your revelation to us in our own language. The inspiration of the men who wrote it, their obedience and the diligence of the men who made copies and preserved the copies and for those who, who diligently work to translate from the original languages into the language we can read and understand. And we ask that you motivate us to take advantage of this great gift, an opportunity to get to know you well, and by knowing you well, to be able to serve you better. Amen. Okay, so in starting in the 11th verse of the cha of chapter 19 of Acts, we are in the midst of Paul's two-year ministry in the city of Ephesus. So, verse 11, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were being carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued them all, all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Extraordinary miracles. I'm sure Paul was uh, touching people and praying for people and commanding evil spirits to come out, but, uh, which was to be, I suppose, expected. But beyond that, it wasn't just, I mean... There are other accounts in the book of Acts where similar things are happening. In the case of Peter in Jerusalem, if his shadow fell across a person, uh, they would be healed. It is, it is clear here that this is not happening by Paul or by Peter because Paul and Peter didn't even have to be present. In the case of Paul... Pieces of clothing that had touched his body were carried to individuals 
and these miracles of healing and freedom from demon possession were achieved by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this was done as a first it was it was also I mean it was it was an act of compassion by God for these people who were who were oppressed either physically or spiritually. But it was also done as a way to certify and uh, the message and the messenger, in this case Paul, uh, to say what what Paul's saying is true, and I'm going to demonstrate to you it's true by this act of compassion, where I'm going to do something supernatural um, of, and of benefit to these oppressed individuals. So you should pay attention to what Paul has to say. And let's, uh, but let's get some definitions correct here. Um, these are clearly miracles, but what is a miracle? Because God works in a number of different ways within the creation. Uh, and so uh, let's first say that one way that God interacts with his people, with creation, is he works what we call his general providence. An example of that is where uh, it says in the scriptures that God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. The rain falls, whether you're a believer farmer or whether you're an unbeliever farmer, the rain falls and both the believer and the unbeliever receive the benefit. That's general providence. And then there's special providence. And this is when God is working uh, to achieve a specific purpose. And he does so using in, in the, within the constraints of the creation that he has created. There are what we call natural laws. God works within these natural laws to achieve a specific event or purpose. Um, an example of that would be um, where um, Jonathan, the son of Saul, back in 1 Samuel, um, decides to, he and his uh, armor bearer decide to attack the Philistine garrison. There are just two of them, and there are a couple hundred Philistines. Well, God uses natural phenomena to support this desire by Jonathan to honor the Lord and defeat the enemies of God, the Philistines. And, and similarly, with David killing the Philistine giant Goliath, uh, that was special providence of God. A specific outcome was achieved, but it was within the natural laws that God has set up within creation. And then there's miracles. And a miracle is where God kind of suspends natural law, does something outside of natural law. And certainly a miraculous healing uh, here in the in the gospel of, in the in the book of Acts and in the Gospels, you see either Jesus or the disciples um, 
using supernatural power to bring about healing. They're not doctors. They're not using the natural laws of, of, of medicine. Uh, they are doing something with the outside of the natural laws through God's special power to achieve that end. So that's because it's outside the natural law. And we have evidence of that today. I mean, we have a, uh, I know of a, of, a, of a woman here who worships with us at Sun City West Christian Church who uh, had been diagnosed with cancer and the doctors had said there was nothing they could do. And um, people prayed for her and she went back for her scheduled uh, checkup with the doctor and they did their tests and the doctor said, I cannot explain it, but there's no cancer in your body. Well, okay, there was no natural law at work here. The doctors had already decided that it was beyond their ability and yet God acted outside of his natural law and outside of the doctor's experience to heal her. So that happens even today. And then one last category, which uh, I have learned to refer to as super miracles. Jesus promised his disciples that he would, that they would um, do greater works than he did. Now, you think of all the miracles that he did in, in um, healing the sick and casting out demons. And yet he tells the disciples that they will do greater works than he did. Uh, well, what did disciples, what would they, did they succeed in that Jesus did not? Well, uh, when Jesus completed his three and a half to four years of ministry and, uh, and sacrificed his life, um, he had one faithful disciple. I mean, he had, he had 11 less than faithful disciples, but he had one John who was present at the crucifixion. One John who was, did not fully abandon him, but the rest had abandoned him. So after three and a half to four years of ministry, he had one faithful disciple. Day of Pentecost, Peter gets up, gives one message, and 3,000 men and their families are touched and convicted by the Holy Spirit and confess Jesus as Lord. 3,000 men and their families. So on the first day, after the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit had come upon them, the church growth was way different than what was experienced during Jesus' ministry. I believe that that's what Jesus is referring to, where the hearts of men are changed, and they're changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the disciples didn't do, as Jesus said, greater works than he did, which I refer to uh, as super miracles. Well, anyway, exorcism is a miracle. And evil spirits are being cast out by just being touched by a piece of cloth that had been in touch with Paul's body. Well, seeing the efficacy of Paul, the Holy Spirit, in casting out demons, 
Jewish exorcists who had existed um, decided, these seven sons of Siva, that they would, uh, they would use the name of Jesus in their exorcist uh, procedures. And so these seven sons of Siva, who were uh, Jews and were exorcists, uh, they went to a house of a man who was possessed by a demon, and they used Jesus' name and Paul's name. Now, when you read the phrase, in the name of, um, you need to understand that that doesn't necessarily mean to state the person's name. Uh, it means, in a much, a much more complete way, using the authority of the name or the person who, who you're, whose name you're using. And you're using that authority consistent with the character and nature of that person. So in a, in a, in a, in a, in a modern-day application, an ambassador to country um, frequently speaks in the name of the head of their government. Now, he may or may not say that President Trump says this, but he knows President Trump's policies. He knows what President Trump is trying to accomplish. And so when he talks to the individuals in the country where he is representing the United States, he speaks in the name of the President of the United States because he works for him, even if he doesn't actually quote him. This a modern example, similar to what would be meant when you see in the scriptures the phrase, in the name of. So when these seven sons of Siva say, uh, we abjure you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, they are using Jesus' name literally by mentioning his actual name and Paul's name. And yet they were not believers. So they could not speak in the authority of and consistent with their knowledge of the character and nature of the individual because they didn't know him. And, of course, the evil spirit recognizes that and says so and then punishes these unbeliever exorcists and who were trying to capitalize on Jesus' name without belonging to Jesus. And they were severely punished. And... As a result of this event, Jesus' name was being magnified. And the importance of belonging to Jesus, not just using his actual name, um, was what was lifted up. Belonging to Jesus. And so the reputation and honor of the Messiah was elevated, even through this unfortunate event for the seven exorcists. God used that unfortunate incident to bring glory to his name. Uh, exorcisms still occur in the modern Christian era. Um, and um, when I was a much younger man, I 
um, without seeking out <laughs> this opportunity, I, 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 I ended up uh, being part of uh, an exorcism where um, a friend of mine uh, who had been oppressed by a demon or more than one demon, uh, I was part of the team that witnessed the exorcism of of that of those demons. So starting with verse 18 of the book of Acts, many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it was 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Now after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. New believers here are demonstrating the fruit of repentance. They are saying what they used to do and how they are repenting. They're turning away from this practice of magic. And books, books are valuable. There were no printing presses. So copies of books were uh, very expensive. And in the case of magic books, they were even more expensive. And they did not try to sell their books and get the money back. They recognized that these books were evil, contrary to God. And so rather than pass them on and get back their money, they sacrificed them and burned them to destroy them. This is what I would say is an example of the fruit of repentance. They had repented and they were demonstrating their repentance and their seriousness in following the truth. And as a result of their example, the word of the Lord was growing and prevailing. This, and the principle here is that obedience of God's people strengthens the proclamation of the truth because they are living the truth. And in living the truth, they give strong credibility to proclaiming the truth. And Paul proposes he's going to visit Jerusalem. And his plan includes a visit to Rome. Now, it doesn't say the details here. The details are found uh, in other of Paul's books. Uh, in his uh, book, of second letter to the Corinthians, there are some details there. In his letter to the Romans, there are some details there. I'm not going to read those. I'll just summarize them for you. Um, there was a great hardship of believers in Jerusalem and in Judea. And Paul uh, decided he was going to collect an offering from all the churches, particularly in Macedonia and in Greece, 
to support and relieve the economic distress of the believers in Jerusalem. And so, uh, in, through letters and visits, he moves through those churches in uh, Macedonia and in Greece, and he collects this money. And then he finds this is so important a mission that he personally is going to see to it and deliver the money in person. And then, after he's done that, then he is going to return uh, through Greece and Macedonia and then go on and visit Rome. And his plan includes a visit to Rome, but only a visit, not to stay, because he wants to go from Rome to the province of Spain in order to proclaim the gospel in Spain where it hasn't been heard yet. And that was his plan. You remember uh, last week we talked about um, Paul's plan when he said if it was his will. And as we read and learn these, these details, and as we are going to see here in the book of Acts, um, Paul does get to Rome and has an, a very effective ministry in Rome, but it wasn't how he planned it. And it's important to, that he submitted himself in advance and his plans in advance to the sovereignty of God because Paul did not know the future. Only God knows the future. And so, yes, his plan to visit Rome uh, did not happen, but he still visited Rome and had an effective ministry there. Continuing on, uh, with verse 23, about that time there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way, and the way here is is uh, is uh, Christianity. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines in Artemis of Artemis, who was uh, the Greek name for uh, the goddess Diana in the Roman culture, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. You see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that the gods made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. When they heard this, they were filled with rage. They began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city was filled with confusion, and they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. Also, some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. So then some were shouting one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. 
Some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander, since the Jews had put him forward, and having motioned with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from all as they shouted for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. After quieting the crowd, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there, after all, who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is guardian to the temple of the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven? So, since there, these are undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. So then, if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session and proconsuls are available. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly. For indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events. Since there is no real cause for it, and in this connection we will be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. So as more pagans were becoming Christians in the, in the area around Ephesus and turning away from their pagan practices, uh, they stopped worshiping Artemis. People who profited from these pagan, pagan practices felt an economic pinch. And that's true to today. Take the pornograph, pornography industry. As people become Christians and learn that, the, that pornography is against God's will and they turn away and they stop spending their money on it, the people who sell that pornography will feel an economic pinch. So the silversmiths who make these idols stir up a riot, playing on the emotions of the pagan worshipers. And the mob grabs two of Paul's ministry and proceed to the theater. It's clear that their intent is to publicly punish them. They would be taking the law into their own hands. It would be mob violence. The town clerk, a government official who was not a Christian, rebukes the mob. He says these men are innocent of any crime, the, the ones you have brought before us. And there are court systems in place to deal with any issues that these silversmiths may have. Rioters in the United States should heed this advice advice. There is a court system. You can peacefully bring issues before the courts to be adjudicated. But the rioters are not interested in justice. They're interested in getting their own way. And this official, the town clerk, dismisses the assembly, sending them home uh, to the, I'm sure, unhappiness of Demetrius and the silversmiths, but they still had the ability to bring a suit before the court. 
and that completes today's lesson. Um, if you are visiting or live in the Phoenix area and you want to participate in the discussion period that follows this lesson uh, in person, in, you can do so by uh, joining us at Sun City West Christian Church. Uh, the Bible study occurs at 9.30 in the morning, and you are welcome to join us for the discussion and question and answer time. And uh, may God bless you all.